Nick Nolte is a cop. Eddie Murphy is a con. I can help you get Gans, but you gotta get me out of here first. You're crazy. He pulls some strings. See how you need me a little more than you thought, huh, Mr. K? He pulls some scams. So where do you want to do it, honey? Want to hop up on the counter? Nah, we can go in this room over here next to the bathroom. Yeah, right. I'm dead serious. Come on, we're on the move. Let's go. They've got two killers to track down. Toss me that piece, and he won't waste him. They've got a kidnapping going down. I want the money. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not that Indian to snap her neck. They've got a fortune to hunt down. I want to know what's going on between you and Gans. Half a million dollars. And it's all coming down in 48 hours. But I gave you 48 hours to come up with something, and the clock's running. This guy got a real itchy trigger finger, and he's a nervous cop. You better listen to him, you get your brain blown out. I'm the calm type. <laughs> They couldn't like each other less. They couldn't need each other more. You want to bet? And if they can get off each other's case. Look at you, you got a $500 suit on, you're still a lowlife. Yeah, but I look good. They just might solve this one. Being a cop is a hard job, Jack. Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy. We ain't brothers, we ain't partners, and we ain't friends. Now, if Gans gets away with my money, you're going to be sorry you ever met me. I'm already sorry. 48 hours. Y'all be cool. Welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and we're checking out how they hold up today. And uh, this week, we are looking at basically what I refer to as the story of John and David. Isn't that, isn't that right? <laughs> this is basically a mirror into our, our history right here. Yeah. This one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> back uh, before we were podcasting, you were a cop and I was uh, I was a criminal, and this is... This was almost a re a shot for shot reenactment. Yeah, I mean, we had to team up. I had to solve a big case. You were the key to the whole thing, and despite our differences, we managed to pull together and bust the bad guys. And the next logical step was to start a uh, a film production studio and a podcast. So yeah, <laughs> here well, we are. We live in L.A. I mean, that's you're you're doing one yeah. of those two things at all times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we took we took the money that I had in my trunk and invested it, and uh, now you have a uh, a an office lined with diamonds. Yeah, it's, well, that's my that's my gold standard. I mean, yeah. diamond standard. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this week we are going to set the wayback machine to the one of another another big year, huge year for movies. 1982. 82. A lot of movies that year. Yeah, a yeah. lot. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe the number of movies that were <laughs> that were released in 1982. It's mind-boggling. There's uh but that's I mean it's a huge, you know, there's certain years where there's like a plethora of great films that come out. Mm-hmm. 82 is one of those years. We tend to look at like 1996 a lot. Um, we've looked at, well, we did a whole special on 1989, which you can find 
in the archives at uh, www.reconcinemation.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, 85 is a big year, but 82 also, you know, you've got Poltergeist and Star Trek 2 and The Thing and Blade Runner and, and uh, today's movie, 48 Hours. 48 Hours. That's a time period. That's, that's two days. That's two straight days. That, little did we know that was two days. That was two days, but it spent a number of days at the top of the box office. (laughs) Um, And this is our our second time back into 1982. I think we covered Tron before. Correct. Uh, Yeah, very correct. And then I think that might be the only thing that we've covered in this year. But I mean, if 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 one of our fans want to point out like, hey, listen, you you've already covered, you know, uh, Death Wish 2 um, which I'm sure we'll actually we will get to <laughs> we will at some point <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah no I mean but like, to cover uh, to cover 48 hours I mean this is this is uh, along with a lot of other other movies that sort of uh, changed the trajectory of what was going into theaters and pleasing audiences uh, mm-hmm. 48 hours is among among the, those top those top films right yeah, and that's you know I think we're going to get into it shortly here, but this movie is a lot more influential than people realize, mm-hmm. and I do feel like it's a bit of a forgotten movie now. You know, yeah. even when you when you think of Eddie Murphy, you know, you think Beverly Hills Cop, you think Coming to America, you think um, you know Trading Places, even, uh, and some of his other more recent things too, but. I think now I feel like 48 hours kind of slips by and people don't aren't really, you know, they're not really talking about it. Yeah, I think when it comes to the Eddie Murphy movies, you, ha- you only have so many so much bandwidth. And like, while 48 hours is effective, certainly an amazing debut for Eddie Murphy. Um, he's had finer, greater performances that have been, you know, p- that people think about. So, yeah, th- mm-hmm. it's a shame. This is sort of gets lost in the shuffle. Um in that in that sense, I mean, any any diehard, I'm sure any diehard like Murphy fan is throwing this in their lists, obviously. But um, general audiences might might pass that up. I mean, I think, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop is is what he, it's refined what he did, just perfectly in this movie. I mean, he he's fantastic in this, but then Beverly Hills Cop just was the next level where he truly got to be the star. I mean, he's. Yeah, he, you don't you don't meet him for twenty five minutes in this film, um, I think, and then right, uh, and then it, and then then you know it's the, they're two co leads, they're 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 both get enough screen time, but you you spend a lot of time waiting for Eddie Murphy to appear. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how, and I forgot that you know I've I've seen this movie many times, but I hadn't watched it in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we screened it, uh, I forgot that it was so you know there's quite a chunk of time before you even meet eddie murphy but um did you keep and then did, did you keep yeah. pausing the movie every five minutes and googling like when does eddie murphy show up <laughs> in 48 hours i just really just complained i complained to the projectionist in the booth and i just said where's eddie did you put this is this the right reel because you know i make them projected on film reels yeah and they're about 20 minutes each so yeah uh what's going on here Where, yeah. where's my eddie we have a vast archive of original prints for just tons of movies. So uh, this one, I can understand the confusion. Where's Eddie? He's the star. But 
he uh you know once he once he shows up though i mean his energy everything he brings to it it's it it's palpable it's eddie murphy yeah. is a well, star that, that that's where the movie pivots and uh and, yeah. and we'll get into that but this is also our second look at a walter hill film actually it's if you separate from the alien movies, uh, this is our second, you know, directed by Walter Hill. We we covered the driver mm-hmm. uh, back in in season two, uh, which again you can find in the archives, and that was an interesting look back at. We did the driver, you know, the er- oh yeah, the driver. <laughs> Wait, yeah. the driver? Did you forget? Yeah, we didn't do that one, did we? <laughs> the driver? Yeah, we absolutely did. I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> We cover a lot of movies. It's uh, a lot to remember. But, yeah, we covered that uh, last summer. And um, oh, yeah. it was I an forgot. interesting look back yeah, at the uh, <laughs> beginning of Walter Hill's career. And, and uh, you know, that movie has gone on to uh, get a lot of respect for him and as, as a film. But it was a disaster when it came out and, and you know, was a big money loser and, and – uh, really didn't uh help him it was it was more of a an experience for walter hill and uh but now we're looking you know as his career is a little bit further along uh with 48 hours so yeah what uh when my usual question david when was the first time you saw this movie funny enough it was like four years ago uh i <laughs> yeah i don't know it, it was one of those i uh, just never got around to it um having known it mm-hmm. existed but i think probably because it wasn't a movie that was so praised like that we were just saying that it's not like a top eddie murphy film even though it's very high quality um and maybe just because it didn't have enough juice behind it enough buzz over the years i mean it's always been mentioned i've always been aware of it um i was too young when it came out obviously uh i mean maybe obvious to you and i maybe not our audience i know yeah. i sound like <laughs> Uh, an old man, um, <clears throat> but I am a cherub. A, uh, I'm a young, I'm just a young thing. Anyway, I <laughs> you know so it, it's and then I it, I don't know. It might have been that there was just so many buddy buddy cop movies and buddy movies since then that it was always like eh, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if I really like Nick Nolte. It was probably like because Nick Nolte was in it. I was kind of like eh, it's fine, <laughs> you know. So, but it was something I. Yeah finally got around to yeah i think it was three or four years ago and uh it was it changed my life uh what Um, about you you, i'm sure i'm assuming you saw this like uh in 1984 you watched it 10 times a day loved it had the poster you're four years old loved it talked about it in preschool Told everyone you knew. Are you about writing it. my biography? <laughs> I'm doing a lot of research on you. Yeah, I think the, the, <laughs> the book is forthcoming. Uh, no, but when when <laughs> when was this? When did this enter your your sphere? Uh, pretty early, fairly close to what you just described. Um, <laughs> it was no. This was a part of my uh, grandma collection. Oh, there you go. I could see that. So, yeah. So my, the grandma collection uh, for those that are new to this show. Uh, is a group of movies that my grandmother would show me at a very young age. Uh, some of the others would be, uh, actually funny, a lot of Eddie Murphy movies. Uh, mm. Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Avenging Force, 
uh, Steel Dawn. This was a Patrick Swayze movie, mm. um, and a lot of other like really bad action movies. Um, mm-hmm. But Forty Eight Hours was one of them, and uh, so I remember saying I must have been seven maybe when I saw it for the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. At the time, like I loved the buddy cop movies, like loved them. So I loved the stereotypical Nick Nolte tough guy cop. Loved it. Couldn't get enough. Um, but sure. also the the scene where you know that they uh, the shootout in the hotel uh, always stuck out with me. That mm. it, it really disturbed me. Yeah. Because I really. I really liked Jonathan Banks's character. You know, he's only in the movie briefly, but he seems like, you know, a total, like, nice guy, like, good guy cop, you know? Um, and the way he's just kind of, like, kind of begging for his life and he's unarmed and then is gunned down, that just, you know, as a seven-year-old, that kind of, that disturbed me. And it's funny because, like, he plays such a jerk in Beverly Hills Cop and then kind of the opposite of that here and they're almost back-to-back movies yeah i mean i don't know how nice he is i mean he has a sort of adversarial relationship with mcnulty and i mean he's not a he's not a villain of, of any sort or well or, but it's or, the it's the other cop who has more was more of the jerk to nolte and it seems like he's sure this guy's like more of nolte's friend yeah it 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 just yeah by their introduction and everything you would just assume you were going to see these guys throughout the rest of the film and then Right. You do not. So it is sort of like this injustice that happens. And you're like, oh, man, like I liked, I kind of like yeah. these guys. I want to see more of because you get to see Nick Nolte and, and them go at it. And it's it's a good dynamic that works. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is like what what the what would it be like if they, they were all teaming up <laughs> and you can't see it? We'll never know. Yeah. Unfortunately, unless they make a prequel. Unless. We do the prequel that we've been talking about. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's it called? Kate's? What are we going to call the prequel? 24 hours. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, my God. So it's like 24 the show is really about <laughs> yeah. Jack Kate's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They t- <laughs> <laughs> it's 24 hours in the day of Jack Kate's stopping terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> that's the whole title of the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's the subtitle. 24 hours. The day of Jack Cates. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then this was really, you know, this was the, the origin of the buddy cop film. This really did kind of kickstart it and it would get popularized with, with several other movies in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, but this was really the first one. I mean, can you think of a a real solid like buddy cop movie before this? No, I don't think so. I don't nothing nothing in this vein, uh, in this like kind of formula of you know two different people coming together with a singular goal, but they're they're at odds with each other, and then they end up mm-hmm. becoming buds. I mean, well, and like I think when I watched this, you know, th- four four years ago. Um, I think I immediately got on my blog and said, I think, is this like, is this the archetype? Is this where they st- like took? Because to me, I felt like I was watching bits and pieces of different movies uh, that I had seen before. And I'm like, oh, this is where it all started. <laughs> I think, like, uh, the realization yeah, washed is, over yeah. me quickly that, you know, this is where it began. And then everyone else has just been chasing the 
the dream, the formula uh, since then. Well, and that's what it is, is that they figured out a formula here that works. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think they were intending to create an entire subgenre, really. But uh, and I always remembered as a kid, like I always assumed that it started with Lethal Weapon. But that's definitely not true. That may have been the, you know, most financially or successful or the biggest uh, blockbuster of the buddy cop movies. But it was it was really, you know, five years before that with 48 hours where it started. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think when people say like, well, what's the what's the first big buddy cop movie? I think a lot of people would reference Lethal Weapon not knowing the the true origin of it or at least not thinking Mm -hmm. of because, again, 48 hours very forgotten in a lot of ways um, yeah yeah and and lethal weapon did it so well and it's such a large scale uh you know it just it's outshined it from the beginning yeah well and lethal weapon obviously became a huge franchise and mm-hmm. and uh you know it was a much just more widely seen movie and publicized movie than yeah. 48 hours was but and every um, every sequel of that, they added more buddies. More like, buddies. There was more buddies. Not even all of them are cops. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of buddies in those buddy flicks. <laughs> yeah. By the on. end, you've got you got Pesci in there. You got Rene Russo, mm-hmm. and you got uh, Chris Rock. Chris Rock. And you, got, and you got all the Murtaugh family. You got. I mean, it's, yeah. they're just all buddies. They're all buddies together. Yeah. <laughs> There's more buddying and less copping, you yeah. know, as it goes along. Uh huh. <laughs> um, we should look at those. We'll look at all the Lethal Weapon movies at some point, or at least the first three. No, I guess we could do all four of them. Why not? Who cares? No one yeah. can stop us. When was the last one that came out? <laughs> Night two thousand one. No, ninety eight. Ninety eight. So it, that works. Oh, okay. Yeah. It fits. Yeah. All right. But we'll uh, yeah, so. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the behind the scenes, the making of the movie, and then we'll talk about kind of the impact of it uh, and some of the details. Sure. Um, We last left Walter Hill in 1978 coming off of The Driver, uh, which was, you know, as we mentioned before, was a financially unsuccessful movie for him. But it's gotten a lot of street credibility uh, over the years since then. and I, I love the film, and and uh, I don't know. I think it's just aged well over time. But at the time, it was uh, it did not hit with audiences, and he continued his uh, his city films. Um, we t- we talked you know we talked about that also on the French Connection episode about you know there's a lot of street and and city films where these you know co- it's like cops out on the beat out like out there in the environment. Uh, and Walter Hill's movie, a lot of his movies are in that style. They're, um, you know, he had done The Warriors. Uh, he had done, obviously, The Driver, The 48 Hours, and several of his future movies would all be kind of street and city films. Um, he also threw a couple out there that uh, were of a different vein, like The Long Riders in 1980 and Southern Comfort. Um, all of those you know, got a lot of uh, respect from film fans. Um, I, I don't know if they were all financial hits or not, mm-hmm. but um, he's definitely developing a reputation and, and some respect along the way. And he, you know, does he get, he gets enough success where he's able to make 
a slightly bigger budget movie with this one in 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen The Warriors? Um, I've seen like half of it a bunch of times, um, <laughs> like 25 years ago. Uh, I want I mean, more. Le- I probably have probably. I've probably seen it all through different pieces, but anytime I've mm-hmm. ever seen it, I've seen it at a certain point and maybe to the end or maybe, you know, for 30 minutes at a time and all that. And I, I'm, I'll tell it's like a jumbled mess in my head. Like I don't really know the continuity of the movie, like mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the series of events. Um, and I think we should cover that movie sooner rather than later. We sh- um, we should. Yeah. Because I, I, I I do want to sit down and, and watch it from the beginning because it's a wacky film. I really like it from what I remember. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's it's a little bizarre, but yeah. it's 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 a solid movie. Yeah, and, and there's there's a lot of connections from the Warriors to Forty Eight Hours. Oh yeah, I mean those. I did see that big crew of guys on roller skates with uh, baseball <laughs> uniforms in the background of yes. Forty Eight Hours. Yep. I think yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just ride on by. <laughs> yeah, they just okay. <laughs> they they spread from New York to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's funny. No, but there are like you know, there's a lot of thematic uh, and visual connections. There's cast members in both movies, and mm-hmm. like David Patrick Kelly plays a character named Luther in both movies. Mm. Uh, James Remar's in both. There's you know, I think just creatively, there's some. Uh, there's a real, like a relationship between those two kinds of movies. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, Walter Hill really loves like rough characters and, you know, and especially in all of his, all of his early films, you know, these characters are, are not nice people. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's, everyone is just really harsh on each other and, and really, you know, in a lot of cases, just, flat out you know mean to each other there's no there's no real like sweet relationships developing uh yeah and i mean i see that so much with with jack in this movie that i don't really like him for for most of it (laughs) yeah i think he's charming like i think because nick nolte is like charming that you are engaged with what he's doing but like he's just an asshole like like throughout like for most of the film um and then it's and I can see that maybe if Eddie Murphy wasn't playing uh, Reggie, like he would be kind of more of an asshole. He seems mm-hmm. like th- it seems like there's some heart behind his. You know, he's just a guy trying to get by uh, and <laughs> doing his thing. Whereas yeah. Jack is this like severely damaged cop, like just out of his mind, like having a hard time of with everything, with the job, his life, yeah. his love life, his friendships, everything. He's, he's a total mess. So, and I, so if he's going to be this like terrible guy, at least there's maybe reasons why, or at least it explains his lifestyle because he's such mm-hmm. a jerk. Um, so it's, it's actually like a f- sort of well put together character in this one. And uh, it's funny in college, uh, my friend Jared and I, we, we used to, uh, get, you know, get up after a, uh, you know, a rough night. We would kind of immediately like go in, in our in our dorm room. Like we would immediately go into this like Nick Nolte 48 hours impression, <laughs> like yeah. hungover, gravelly voice. Like you just like immediately takes a swig of whatever alcohol and throws a cigarette in his mouth and you know, like, right. 
yeah. bad relationships with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Stereotypical eighties cop. I think we all have. I think we all have that phase. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> anyway. And uh, I can't remember how far uh, Jack Cates went in our '80s Top Cop tournament back in uh, back a few months ago. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm sure he he got through the first round. I think yeah. I want to say he was in the Elite Eight and then and then was uh, probably knocked out. But mm. for a long time, like uh, I was like Jack Cates and uh, you know and Riggs Martin Riggs were like the you know. In my mind, those those were like the '80s cops. Yeah, yes, yes, they're the top um, '80s cops. Yeah, for you, but uh, yeah, for me, I'm more of a Huckleberry from Police Academy. Tackleberry? Did I say Huckleberry? Damn it! You said Huckleberry <laughs> after I said it, and then I'm like, wait a minute, did I just say Huckleberry? <laughs> <laughs> I could have just let it slide. Yeah, I'm more of a Tackleberry. <laughs> oh man but um so yeah they're uh during the making of walter hill's fi- film uh hard times with charles bronson and and james coburn and i believe 1975 they started kicking around the idea for this movie uh lawrence gordon who is his producing partner and uh produced a lot of walter hill's films uh you know, came up with the idea and originally involved a, a, the kidnapping of a governor's daughter, and she had like dynamite strapped to her head. And yeah, and uh, I, I think it, I think originally it was like just two cops, not a cop and a uh, and a convict. Um, so there was the idea kind of morphed over time, and um, and then they they did change it so that there was you know that dynamic of the cop and the convict, um, but there was like. The meanest possible cop gets the meanest possible, you know, criminal to team up and go after this uh, this kidnapper. Yeah. Um, they the they hired uh, Roger Spotswood, who would go on to direct. Uh, I believe he directed Shoot to Kill and one of the Bond, the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies. Nice. Uh, so he was an editor uh, back in the 60s and early 70s and really wanted to get into directing. So uh, Lawrence Gordon says, okay, well, uh, you know, a good way for you to make that move is start writing. So write, why don't you write this script of this idea that we've just kind of come up with? And it was inspired by the Defiant Ones. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that with Sidney um, Poitier and, uh, and Tony Curtis. I did not see that one. You, do you remember the movie Fled from 1996 with Lawrence Fishburne and Stephen Baldwin? I don't. Okay. Well, that was a re- that was a like you know an actual <laughs> remake of the Defiant Ones, but they're like two convicts who who escape like a chain gang and they're like on the run. Oh yeah. To escape. Oh okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 You've probably seen parts of it, or I, I know, definitely have. Yes. From as soon as you said that, I'm like, okay, now that makes sense. I remember. The two, yes, I, I generally stay away from Stephen Baldwin movies, so uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, they slip in there. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't he in Stephen Baldwin in like Slapshot three or four or something? I think so. Yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah. I think that's true. He's the Paul yeah. Newman character, right? <laughs> the other Baldwin brother. Yeah. Um. 
but yeah, so they, um, so <clears throat> I think Roger Spotswood's the first one to actually put it in script format and they start pitching it around. They pitch it to Columbia, um, originally, uh, but then it eventually moves to Paramount. They had, uh, they had actually wanted Clint Eastwood. Uh, they went after Clint Eastwood for the cop role. Mm. Who it, it's funny that he he turned it down. Obviously, he had played Dirty Harry probably at least twice by this point. Yeah. Um. You know, and I think that was he was very. Uh, I think he didn't want to typecast himself as as you know he had broken the typecast as a as a Western film star, and I I think he wanted to kind of steer clear of it uh, from being just Dirty Harry all the time as well. So Eastwood really wanted to play the convict role, which mm. would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he eventually turns, you know, passes on the movie so he can actually play a convict in uh, Escape from Alcatraz. So, oh. you know, he wanted to play the convict. They were kind of pushing him to play the cop. Uh, obviously, Eastwood kind of got his way with it. Um, so he split off to do Escape from Alcatraz, which is another great film. And and this movie went into what they call turnaround, so it's sort of like a dead zone uh, for screenplays where they're just kind of frozen. There's nothing happening with them. There's not really an intention to making to making it, uh, but it's still technically under uh, you know under development. Yeah. Uh, so they move. That's when they move uh, the idea. They start pitching it over to Paramount, who is at the time was run by. Michael Eisner and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. So, uh, you know, they were in another period of transition from the Robert Evans era of, uh, Mm -hmm. of Paramount studios and that new Hollywood wave and into the eighties and kind of transitioning the studio. Um, But uh, yeah, so they, you know, wanted, uh, they had a different kind of, character you know different cast members in mind they wanted burt reynolds for the cop uh the the jack cates role but the main thing that they wanted was uh richard pryor actually for the the uh the russell hammond role Ooh, i could see that i could see that he was the well he's the biggest name in comedy right at the time Uh, yeah yeah he was huge and yeah i mean that richard pryor would probably work out great in that role it'd be a different movie but i think he would be really good yeah well and that's the thing is that i think paramount expected to be making one kind of movie which was a lot different than the movie that walter hill was going to make i mean if you've watched any of walter hill's earlier movies like he's not going to make a like slapstick buddy comedy like that's not yeah that's not what he does. That's not what this movie is. And I, I can't imagine that that's what the script read like. But yeah. for some reason, Eisner especially really got it in his head that, uh, you know, that they were going to get Pryor and that it was going to be a Richard Pryor movie. Which, yeah. And he was at his, you know, the early 80s was the, the peak Richard Pryor years. I mean, the, the late 70s and early 80s, he was a huge star and had made you know enormous hits um he did uh, the mac and car wash and silver streak uh grease lightning he's in stir crazy busting loose uh and then later he do um what brewster's millions and and the the toy and just kind of keep keep coming out through you know through the mid 80s and then 
you know, he got he got into some personal problems. But yeah, um, uh, the toy that would have co- been... coincidentally came out the same year as Forty Eight Hours, I believe. Yeah, that was basically the movie he did instead of this, and uh, um, yeah, and I don't think he, I, I don't think at any point he was like officially attached to the movie, but there was so much discussion yeah. about it, and it was like the guy they really wanted. Um, in the meantime, they Nick Nolte had started his career, you know, kind of in the mid seventies as well, and had some some hits. He was a little bit more of a, he looked more like a pretty boy in the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was in the deep and who'll stop the rain and North Dallas 40, which is, which is a great, all of those are great movies. But, um, uh, you know, he looked like a kid in the seventies and, you know, here by 82, he's sort of growing into his age a little bit more. And the, you know, that the boyish looks are gone and he's much more grizzled. Like they really get that grizzled cop look done really nicely for him here. Yeah. I mean, he's like a, He's like a fully formed man. I mean, he's such a tall guy with broad shoulders. Like he's, he, you know, he just he just dominates in like when he's standing next to Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy's, you know, just shorter, just smaller build. And uh, mm-hmm. Nick told me he's just kind of a giant. Like he's just sort of the, and then, but like yeah. depend, you know, like yeah. Well, he had that like youthful look, that more youthful look in the seventies, and now he's like pushing. He's in his late thirties by the time this movie's being made, I think. So he's mm-hmm. now he's like a man, like you know, like he'll yeah. always be that man guy. And of course, his voice is is so like iconic in a sense. You know, it's just that grizzled that 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 grating sound that he does mm-hmm. um, sort of cements him as this you know hard type and this like you know hard ty- uh, man type guy and he's just uh <laughs> like uh, yeah um, you know so but no still a good looking guy nice good good locks in this movie great haircut can we just say right now like it's Kurt <laughs> Russell beautiful level. flowing locks oh yeah. man yeah <laughs> like if we were doing best hair he wins it hands down in this movie <laughs> so they you know the 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 search went, was still going on for, you know, they said, we've got Nick Nolte, we need Nolte and a good black actor. But my question is, and I know, I get it, this movie's a product of its times, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it would have been really interesting if they had done, you know, a black police officer and, you know, a white or whatever inmate and not gone for the... You know, that typical move of, like, the the cop is white and the inmate... Why does the inmate have to be black? Mm. Why does the criminal have to be black? Right. Right. You know? Um. And that's part of... That's, like, one element of this movie that... Just that... Auto, it feels like such an automatic thing of, like, oh, well, the, the criminal has to be black. Right. The criminal would typically be black. You know, the criminals in New York... Uh, who do they send to jail more often? <laughs> it's, it's, it's black convicts. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I don't know. That's one kind of thing. I think just doesn't work as well watching it now. It just feels like like there's an assumption that that actor had to be black. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you know. I mean, it's written very specifically for him, right? I mean. Hmm. Looking for you. well, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing too. But um, but even before was you know before Eddie Murphy comes along, it's like you know it, it has to be you know why couldn't why couldn't you get Sidney Poitier as the cop and yeah. 
you know, somebody else as uh, as the inmate. Right. Well, I mean, and and I think that's a. I think those are always good questions to like state. Um, for me on this because of the time period and because it's, I don't know. It's just it. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, other than the connotations that come with with those assumptions. Like, so again, yeah. like your your what you're bringing up makes sense, and you know we could get into like, well, why didn't they make this kind of movie or this kind of movie? But it's sort of sure. a futile well, like, no, thing. But but yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. But like you know, if they were to redo Forty Eight Hours today, you certain you certainly wouldn't do White Cop Black Convicts. I think. Uh, right just by default like you would just like because first that movie's been done um and then you can get a little deeper with the the things that are are different because it's like it's very like black and white uh not to overuse the the analogy here but it's you know it's very specifically cop and convict and he's called a convict in it like 10 times like convict convict. like (laughs) that if you're a con like you're less than in society you know and it's and it's still true today like being an ex-con it's hard to get a job you know it's hard to be respected it's like hard to find a place to live you know it's um so there's so much stigma that goes with being a convict uh even after you serve your time um so there's Mm -hmm. that and then it's also just white guy and black guy so we're like the difference is there um and it's like so it's sort of superficial in a lot of ways like an easy here's like an easy shortcut to the differences between these two guys um Mm -hmm. and that's yeah that's obviously the kind of movie they were trying to do like let's get let's get a super talented white guy and a super talented black actor or blackter um and uh, and and see what kind of chemistry they could have um yeah i i think uh yeah i think this movie well, had to be made before before you start before you go to the next level i think that this mm-hmm. one they got you got to start somewhere well it's definitely it's a product of its times you know the, so much of what we look back at uh, you know is it's this is a product of the 80s and and that's you know that was acceptable then and now and it also yeah. has this mixed bag of like yeah. this is the movie that really launched Eddie Murphy's career that's a positive mm-hmm. uh the negative is that it also gives the connotation of uh, you know that uh, young black men as criminals mm-hmm. um, so they kind of go hand in hand here so it's a, really a mixed bag and then we'll get into the a lot of the, you know, the the racism and the the verbal uh, diarrhea yeah. that's going on here between the two of them. But um, yeah. But before of, we get there, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, before we get there, you know, just circling back to how did Eddie Murphy land on this project? Well, Eddie Murphy's agent was dating Walter Hill at the time and <laughs> oh. said, you know, why don't you take a look at this guy? He's on Saturday Night Live. Eddie Murphy joined Saturday Night Live in season six, which will go down in history as one of the two worst seasons in the history of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched the entire season. I've, I've studied Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is terrible, but he comes he comes in about halfway through, not quite halfway through that season, and it's it's really clear like he's got talent um you know the 
it's sad watching that season of Saturday Night Live because there are some funny skits, but there are a lot of horrible skits. Mm. And this was, of course, the season after Bill Murray and Gilda Radner had left and, and the, those original cast members. Um, and so this it's this wave of new actors, new writers. Um, it's just a lot of it is just not funny and the jokes don't hit. So there's like normally when an audience would be laughing, it's just dead silence. Yeah. The exception to that is basically two people. It's Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. When Eddie comes in, he, you know, was doing stand-up comedy that Dick Ebersol uh, caught him and was, he's 19 years old, brings him onto the show. And, um, you know, very quickly he starts, you know, catching fire with the audience and, and he's the only one they're laughing at. And he's, um, you know, so by the time season seven rolls around, they replaced the entire cast except Murphy and Piscopo and really started to build the show around Eddie more and more as it went along. And his, you know, star was rising very, very quickly. And, you know, so this movie comes along pretty quickly after that. I mean, season seven is just ending when they're going into production for this movie. So, uh, yeah, so most people, like Michael Eisner, you know, Walter Hill goes, sees Saturday Night Live, sees Eddie's talent, and I think locks in that this is the guy. <clears throat> Michael Eisner, who's running Paramount, has no idea who Eddie Murphy is, hasn't heard of him, doesn't watch Saturday Night Live, um, so really isn't sold on it, but they, they go for it and and uh, take a chance with him. Mm. What a good gamble. Paid off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny because in this movie, Eddie Murphy made four hundred and fifty thousand was his rate for the movie. Oh wow! And Nolte's rate was what do I have here? I think Nolte's rate was a million. Really? So you know, Nolte's this rising star, but he's a known name, so the, the studio's into that. Eddie Murphy's more of a gamble, but yeah, um, clearly he's popular, so. Yeah, Eddie Murphy's four hundred fifty thousand. Nolte's a million for this. By the time they make the second movie in nineteen, was that ninety? I believe. Yeah, ninety. Uh, Eddie Mur- Eddie Murphy's cost is seven million, and Nolte's is three. <laughs> How about that? Wow, <laughs> what a difference! Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole, you know, the whole. Uh, you know, energy that they wanted for this movie is it's really about it's really about the personality of the characters that are sort of driving the story. There's not so much like specific plot points, and you know, it's a chase movie. Um, they're they're fighting against the clock, obviously, uh, but it's just so much about the two of them together and developing this relationship and getting from you know point A to point B to point C and trying to catch up with with uh, Gans, who's played by James Remar. Yes. Um, let's talk about... So, yeah, let's talk about the, the script just for a second here. There's a ton of writers that come in here and kind of keep tweaking it and reworking it. Uh, you know, Roger Spotswood wrote that initial script. Uh, Stephen D'Souza is brought in, who's a big screenwriter, um, to kind of amp up the comedy that you know paramount wanted to really wanted to emphasize that and so he starts writing these like you know slapsticky comedy gags that uh did not jive with walter hill at all 
Mm-hmm. So uh, Walter calls a friend of his up uh, named Larry Gross, uh, who would work with uh, with they'd work with each other going on for a few films into the future. But Larry comes in and does an unofficial, uh, you know, pass on the script and starts changing the comedy, you know, less, you know, slapsticky, but more tailored to Eddie Murphy's strengths and to, you know, what Nolte was bringing to the table uh, to really make it fit for the kind of movie Walter Hill was trying to make and that that tone that he was really going for. Um, you know, so much of the the script is, is the banter and the dialogue between the two of them, which, you know, let's talk about it, is fairly problematic. At yeah, least. <laughs> at, at, at least it's not every single scene. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of of stuff that goes primarily from Nick Nolte towards Eddie Murphy. <laughs> that doesn't really work. Yeah, I mean, today he's he's, uh, you know, essentially for just for in case anyone forgot what the plot of this movie is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right in the opening scene, uh, a convict named Gans is is broken out of uh, out of a chain gang out of prison by um, uh, well, what was his name? Billy. Uh, who's Billy Bear. Sonny Londom. Billy, Billy Bear. Yeah. Billy Bear. Yeah. Uh, so the first opening scenes, it's like super violent shootout. Um, you know, a couple of a couple of prison guards get killed and they escape and uh, they are on the run and. Well, they need to take care of the gang, the, the previous gang they were associated with, and get information and right. get the money that's been left behind. It ends up, you know, in a confrontation with Nick Nolte and two other police officers where they're both killed and they end up stealing uh, Jack Cates' gun and they're on the loose with hostages and, um, you know, a, a, poli- a police officer's weapon. So yeah. uh, Nolte is hell-bent to, uh, to get get them, you know, to catch up with them and uh, bring them in. So to do this, he gets one of their previous gang members, Russell Hammond, who's that's Eddie Murphy, who's in prison, and uh, he's going to take him out for 48 hours only. He has 48 hours to catch up with them and, and, uh, and have them brought in. So that's kind of the rough, quick plot. Yeah. Um, Jack is given... And even that, like, like he... <laughs> It's not even he's not even really taking Hammond out legally like he completely forges documents to get him released temporarily for 48 hours. Yeah. And he, yeah, he he's the cop that'll do what it takes and he's given <laughs> his boss gives him just straight up like he says I got to do this alone. Like he t- they they got my gun. They killed what's they killed John or whatever. I forget the character Jonathan Banks's uh, character's name. But um yeah. so it's sort of like this revenge kind of you know, personal vendetta thing. And he's just, he's, mm-hmm. all, he's so he's this, this guy is a killer on the loose and the only one in the entire NYPD to assign to get him is Jack Cates. And he's, he's given <laughs> carte blanche to do whatever he needs to do. So even when he yeah. illegally gets this prisoner release, gets Reggie out of jail, um, it's, it's sort of just accepted. Like, and you see moments throughout the movie where, any tactic he he does toward you know fulfilling his end game is is basically supposed to be um, accepted you know break you know busting into people's homes that are supposedly known criminals or whatever um, 
without knocking all that, putting pulling his gun yeah. on people, firing his gun. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so it's just sort of like he's and he's not really painted as this loose cannon. He's just sort of painted as a guy who does whatever the hell he wants um, to w- with a goal in mind. I mean, he's not he's reckless in the sense that he's reckless toward like pr- policy, procedure and the general public. But he's not, um, you know, he's not reckless enough to actually actually do something that was uh, egregious so he just got lucky <laughs> that he didn't accidentally kill somebody like or yeah he's, get, or get reported for his you know uh unlawfulness <laughs> yeah a lot of these characters are are wild you yeah. know they're, they're just really loose cannons running running wild i mean gans uh, james remar is great as gans and and sunny Landum Landum is is fantastic also and I always found them very intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, uh, he's killed three, I think three prison guards, two cops, um, multiple other, you know, you know, civilians along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a cop's weapon and there's no, there's no manhunt for him. It's just, it's just Jack Cates on his own trying to find him. That's, kind of hilarious i know it's yeah this guy's running a rampage it's 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 yeah. bananas <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this uh this is um and nolte's just as wild i mean you're right he's breaking and entering he's forging documents he's beating up you know eddie murphy pretty significantly at one point uh where they have their you know their their uh fist fight in the in the alley it's just like brutal well they you know they both it's 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 that's that kind of scene you know he throws his gun down he throws his badge they're not he's not a cop right now they're just two men who are gonna right. duke it out which but he still is like it, well he's yeah. still a cop like he, he shouldn't be doing this but i think there is this understanding between them that like even if eddie murphy beats the shit out of him he's not gonna like toss him in jail because of that kind of thing like there's this honor right. like, um, yeah. honor among like you know criminals that's or, that's true so which you know depending on your level of acceptance of that kind of, of violence or whatever that's kind of cool <laughs> he's just like we're just gonna fight now um yeah it's it's you know uh, especially in today's world with pol- with uh the police brutality yeah. situation that's been going on you know, it, it can be hard to watch that because, yeah, he, he takes his badge off and throws it down. But ultimately, like, he is still a cop. Yep. Hammond is still um, a, a convict. And, yeah. you know, so even though, yeah, he may not be wearing the badge, it's still that cloud hovering over. But I think it's made pretty clear that, that yeah, like you said, even if Hammond beats him, it's he's not going to hold it against him. And, and, you know, he needs him. They, yeah. they kind of need each other. Yeah, there's this like, you know, yeah, the power dynamic is always in in Jack's favor because he's the cop. I mean, he got Luther. Remember when when they captured Luther in the toward the beginning, you know, he was and they and they threw him in the uh, in in holding, you know, that first day Um, he was kicking the shit out of him and like, you know, kind of strangling him or, you know, just just real brutal, brutalizing this guy trying to get answers out of him and he wouldn't talk. And uh that was like disturbing. Like I just hated that kind of like, um, yeah there. And then, yeah, the sort of like throwing away the power dynamic and the, the fist fight, like this sort of way old school, like, 
you know, we're not going to solve this with guns and knives. We're just going to have a street fight and may the best man win. And not that I, I condone that kind of behavior, but at least like glamorizing the idea of that based on all that power dynamic we saw, I can at least get behind mm-hmm. the, the, the idea that both men would honor that kind of thing, you know, like for yeah. as skewed as that violent kind of act, those violent acts are among men anyway. It's just sort of a, I don't know. It's, it's, it, and because it's like fictional, it's just sort of like, it's just this kind of interesting little scene between them because like it's the first time Eddie Murphy is maybe given a more, a, a chance to take the power back. You know what I mean? Right. You know, if he could beat the shit out of him, but then they, they kind of like, it's that thing where, I don't know. Did you ever know like a school bully and the guy he's always picking on and then they actually fight. And by the time they actually fight each other, they're, they kind of just respect each other after that. Regardless, mm-hmm. that's the kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. It's this very like immature kind of way where violence kind of brings men together um, in an understanding that, you know, no matter how much you've got your words or your weapons or whatever, when it comes down to it, if, as long as you put up a fight and defend yourself, there's this like mutual respect. Um, not again, don't really condone that kind of behavior. But I kind of understand it, especially when you go back generations with it. So this mm-hmm. is sort of a vestige of of that kind of mentality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what do you think about um, their relationship and their dynamic with each other? Do you buy it? Does it work for you as far as the film goes? Not, only not really even only up until when... Uh, the chief is screaming at him and it's like the the case seems kind of blown and they're sort of defending each other. Um, but mm-hmm. at least I kind of buy it then, but leading up to it, it's just, it's kind of a rough relationship. I, I get like they, they learn more about each other as it goes. You know, he gives, you know, Jack gives Reggie a, an opportunity to prove himself, gives him his badge they, yeah. I mean, we'll talk. We should talk about that scene a little in depth. But yeah, yeah, in the will. country, yeah. in the country bar, giving him that that leash to do his thing, um, and then so at least like they start to understand each other's value in different ways. But it's still hard to buy because he's still the cop. He's still calling the N word or still using racial, like you know, heavily racial, uh, you know, insults and and stuff like that. And and he always reminds him of the power. So it's it's tough to buy for mm-hmm. a while. I mean, for me. Yeah, I agree. I think I think at first it's it's hard to to you know get on the same page with that. But I think you do feel it by the end. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. That they um. You know, I think they do. They do prove something personally to each other, and especially when you know Reggie Hammond has uh, a chance to get away and escape and then he doesn't yeah you know he calls like there's a there's a point where they get separated <clears throat> after the shootout in the train station and uh and he doesn't he he has a chance to run and he ends up calling jack and continuing the uh to get back on the trail yeah i mean it's and i think it's almost like i don't even think jack necessarily thought he gave him the slip he's just waiting for him like why you know why didn't you call? Like, where, where have you been? Right. Like, kind of thing. Like, it's like they, they, they both understand, like there's this honor of like, 
doing doing each other these favors you know because really reggie expressed that he just has to get through his last six months and then he's home free he knows it's way it's way worth waiting it out and getting his money at the end uh if he if he can if he just holds out so I mean, so his motivations are one thing. He's not just trying to do the right, do the right thing, quote unquote. He's trying to like survive the best way he can, um, and that include you know, but that includes like doing the right thing for the case and for getting getting uh, James Remar. Um, you know, he's sort of out on a revenge. They're both on like a revenge kind of kick, like yeah, um, yeah. because James Remar sent him to jail, so it's. Yeah, basically, Gans had turned Hammond in uh, yeah. for probably a, some kind of lighter sentence or something. But um, yeah, and and I think Hammond's in like he's <clears throat> he was in for two years, right? And he has like six months left or something. Yeah, yeah, he's he, yeah two and a half years, and then he's six months left or something. So he, I wonder if yeah. So you, you know, and he's you know when we meet him, he's sitting in a recliner and listening to music on his Walkman, like. For for whatever his his experience in prison is, at least he's he's you know m- making it through. He's not suffering as much as I don't know. You maybe people suffer today. I don't know. It's it's painted as a tolerable situation for him. Um, yeah. Well, <clears throat> and what an entrance too for Eddie Murphy into the world of cinema. <laughs> yeah, him singing and and just uh, he's great. He's singing Roxanne at, you know, the highest possible pitch. And the whole time where uh, Jack Cates is, you know, basically checking in with the guards and, and making his way down towards Reggie's cell. Yeah. Like you just hear that voice growing louder and louder and louder. So the anticipation is just building. And, and it's just and it's such a, just a it's a funny moment. It's a great uh, entrance to uh, to cinema history. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and well, in our personal history, because that's basically how we met. So, yeah, yeah, when <laughs> it's I exactly, approached, yeah, it's, I approached you in your cell. A little bit of copyright infringement happening there, but <laughs> they, um. can, they can have it. They can have it. Uh, yeah. So another thing too that is tough for me watching it now is. Mm-hmm. The dialogue between the you know between the two of them, like especially from from Nick Nolte's character, that there's so much racist dialogue that there's no way there's no way you could or should ever do you know have it portrayed like this. Not that you couldn't have the same plot, but you couldn't you couldn't say things like they said back back in this movie. Yeah, it's 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 classless and it's 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 pretty evil like it's just it's uh yeah it's well because because Kate's is kind of acting like he's not racist but then he kind of is you know i mean he 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 says the n-word to him you mm-hmm. know he calls him that and and uh a number of other things and and it just and i think that's maybe part of the point is you know he feels bad about having said that, you know, and he, he does apologize later. And I think that's supposed to mean more than maybe it does, but um, it's hard to hear. Yeah. It's hard to hear, but he knows what he's doing. You know, he knows that these words are hurtful. Uh, When he calls him boy uh, or spear checker, um, Mm -hmm. mentioning the watermelon, uh, reminding him he's a convict. 
and you know the way the the very very quick apologies like you know i'm doing my job i'm supposed to keep you down so it's 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 just a tiny brief commentary on that again that power dynamic between them and how a white Mm -hmm. cop is is supposed to treat a black man a black convict or or a black suspect i mean you know this is it, it it's not trying to say too much about the 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 overall racism uh um that's part of the system but it is mm-hmm. um it's it's just a brief touch where you know beyond beyond the racism of a white guy he has mm-hmm. a capability of understanding like what he's done apologizes for it right you know i'm not saying he's not racist and i'm not saying he wouldn't casually use all those words anyway because he probably would um uh so i mean at least it tries to address it like it's not like well that boy it's not like he just decides like well that boy is all right you know at least he addresses it directly to him no they yeah you're right that they they do they do you know touch on and it does show you know and I don't want to get too political here. We try to keep that out of the show, but mm-hmm. it does, you know, show part of the the systematic problem that that yeah. we know exists in the way cops are taught how to do their job. Especially, I'm sure back back then. I mean, he would have been taught in the, the 70s. you know, 70s or late 60s. Yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't. There was, a, you know, a ton of racism then, and. Um, you know, whether he intended to or not, I'm sure that's like was kind of beaten to his brain. But um, I don't know. You know, it, it's just it's still just part of the movie that just doesn't that the part that doesn't age well. Yeah. You know that. Yeah. I wouldn't. That's it's tough. I wouldn't want to see that in another version of this movie in the future of in present day. Like, yeah, at not all. at all. Uh, there's just way more. There's way too many ways to actually get to a person. Um, without having to go to to that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and people, but you have to spend that time to get to those layers of of, of a person instead of those, uh, you know, easily accessible racism racist words and language and attitude. So, but yeah, and and not only the the racist language, but the other the other part of the movie o- overall. I mean, I do I do like the movie. I, I like the plot. I like the yeah. you know characters and the action. But uh, you know, another part that doesn't work for me now is just how how they treat women in this movie. <laughs> it's uh, not good. Um, no, and I think you know honestly that was a, a Walter Hill thing with a lot of his films. There wasn't a lot of. Um, you know his his movies were very guy heavy and no feminine perspective in it at all. But this is like really tough because basically they're either prostitutes, some kind of sex object, or just shown as inferior to career. Basically, you know, yeah, with the Netto tool. Yeah, to quote Roger Ebert in his review of the movie. Uh, he says the direction is by Walter Hill who has never been any good at scenes involving women and doesn't improve this time, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I just like reading uh-huh. that. I was like, yep, he's dead on target. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, it's about, um, it's about men and men's relationships. And sure. Those are stories that need to be told, but like the women are used as, yeah, as props and certainly shown to be, you know, in, in, statuses that are are less than um 
and without yeah. any any depth or or layers. I mean, Annette O'Toole supposedly loves Jack for some reason, and then I mean, she eventually re- she could she ends up saying "f you" to him over the phone after enough times being spurned over the last two days. But like, it's not like he ever g- tries to fix it by the end of the movie. Like, it's it's almost like no. this superfluous thing. It's just another reason why Jack is terrible, and I've, that's useful to inform his character. But she's just used as a prop for that, and so it's like Annette O'Toole, like right. way, way too, way wasted, I guess, in this. <laughs> in yeah, this role. well, originally they did have, and I know that was another element that Larry Gross was was pushing on the script was they really wanted to did want to emphasize her character more and give her some more. And there are actually some deleted scenes between the two of them that cool. that I think the only time you see it is when it airs on TV because to uh, make up time. Yeah. Uh, but it's not on the DVD or laser disc. Um, and mm. <laughs> it's not on those, but uh, yeah, I mean, Annette O'Toole is a great actress and, and she has something to work with here, but you don't get to see enough of it. Yeah. Um, you know, his, he makes the choice to <clears throat> that this case is of higher priority than saving his relationship. Yeah, and um, you know, and then the the one of the plot lines was, you know, part of their characters was their their be- desire to have sex, <laughs> which for right. for Eddie Murphy is like he's been in jail, so he hasn't been able to have sex, so he's desperate. Right. Um, and that's when he kind of connects with uh, Olivia Brown, who uh, is also from Miami Vice. But um, and she just like it amazes me that she actually like went for it with him. Mm-hmm. It's like this guy's just you know basically bullying you into sex, and she's <clears throat> going for it. And then Jack Cates, you know, was having intimacy issues with with his girl girlfriend with Annette O'Toole. So yeah. that was definitely part of the subplot that I think got a little as far as Jack's side got de-emphasized. Yeah, I think I think the bigger problems with Jack. I mean, I think part of it is like women like sex too, so you can kind of shortcut the fact that she might fall for, you know, uh, spending the night with Eddie. Like I don't I don't feel like she was that bullied. I mean, he he certainly like um directs it and you know leaves her be and then when he has the opportunity he sort of takes her and she kind of goes along with she goes along with it i mean she does it seems like she she has the agency to make that choice and like because they're out at a club you know they're it's Mm. it's part of that nightly that ritual of going out and seeing who you can make a connection with so it's not totally like off base but you know again it's it's just another example of like the women um being a a goal or an obstacle uh, for for these the the male leads of the of the film, um, yeah, you know, so yeah, I, I would want to see more of her. Like, give 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 them ten minutes together. Like, let's. What does she do? Is she, like, yeah, she's like a doctor. Like, what is she? Like, what does she do? She studies bugs. Like, what is what's her deal? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Annette O'Toole uh, or Annette O'Toole or Olivia Brown. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I yeah, mean, yeah. What do they do? Uh, I know Annette O'Toole is a bartender. Um, right. Right. But uh, but she could be anything. But and it doesn't matter if she's a bartender. But like you know, what's her what's 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 her dreams? What does she what does she think yeah. about? <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. Um, but uh, and uh, and it's it's fine. We we know what we're getting into with Walter Hill. So you kind of have to accept that right. This is yeah, just what yeah. it is. And and 
you can tend, you know tell from the tone of the movie and uh, you know two seconds of looking at Nick Nolte what kind of guy he is. Yeah, yeah, he's a broken garbage person. <laughs> just, that's yeah, a, sorry. I'd probably self-admittedly. <clears throat> um, yeah, it's funny though. It's so funny that Larry Gross, who had he, so he basically came in and punched this script up, right? Like, yeah, and he would. I mean, they were tweaking, especially Eddie Murphy's character, like mm-hmm. all the way shoot through shooting. Like yeah. every day, they were just reworking his dialogue. So Larry Gross is actually the the screenwriter on set, working like with Walter Hill directly. And they have um, they have and that they good kept, relationship. They kept getting notes. Yeah, they kept getting notes from the from Paramount too that Eisner was getting really upset because you know, where's the comedy? Like, this is supposed to be a comedy movie. Like, why isn't it funny? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this scene, I think there's a lot of importance on the the scene in the bar where Jack gives Reggie a chance to basically pose as a police officer. So that's another illegal, <laughs> right. uh, illegal thing he's doing yeah. um, to kind of shake down everybody in the bar for this, uh, for any leads on on Gans, but it's an amazing scene, and that's probably the scene that makes, not probably that's the scene that makes Eddie Murphy a star. Yeah, yeah, the, he he gets free reign for like five minutes, and yeah, it's it's tightly scripted. I think it's like because as much as Eddie is charming and like sort of just funny in his own way, he he's deadly serious throughout the whole movie. Like he he's got his goals. He knows what needs to happen, and he's smarter than uh, ga- uh, they, than Jack gives him credit for uh, for yeah. most of the film. So you know when he keeps like showing him up and showing him, he understands like how he is as a person, or as a cop, or as a you know as, as a partner in a relationship with a woman, or um, you know do, or in doing his job, and then or going into like a rough and tumble kind of rate. Like it's a, it's a bar. It's a Southern good old boys bar. I mean, it's there's Confederate flags everywhere. Like Eddie Murphy or, you know, or Reggie would not be welcome in that place at all. And he isn't. And then no, and he's not. Yeah. So this, that was the opportunity to take the dynamic, the power dynamic that Jack had over him. Now he gets to be the cop, which is essentially like, I'm, I'm the bully. I'm the guy with the badge and the gun. Uh, that you know he pretends to be and they all sort of respect that to a certain degree and so and they have to kind of put up with his antics so you know he tries to steal a guy's gun he 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 breaks a mirror steals a switchblade you know he roughs people up he talks like a garbage person to them and it's all very good and it's it's a great scene it's pretty dramatic um and uh and it's just that because eddie's so charming it's not like it's a funny scene but Man, you're with him, and you're just like rooting for him the whole time. It's such a great scene. Well, Eddie, Eddie is so charismatic, and he's got such personality that you really needed a scene like this in the movie. You need a scene where it's just Eddie. Like, give Eddie the ball, give him a few minutes, let him let him show what he can do. Um, and it was great that they. It was really smart of them to do that, um, not just for the character, but obviously that like made a major impression on on audiences and studio people as well for, for Eddie himself. And Nolte is just kind of a passenger at that point. He's mm-hmm. just kind of watching. He's an observer. 
Yeah. Yeah, he he finally gets a good understanding of the kind of guy uh, that Reggie is and sees him more as just the convict, the black convict. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it's and I mean, that's that's part of like what is is important for for all of us. You know, we have to we can make judgments about each other and, and and based on like very superficial things. And we let that dictate how we interact with those people and it's it's refreshing to see like these two very serious guys um having to kind of break through like their impressions of each other in this very limited time because they didn't have to get to know each other but it's it's reggie's sort of outgoing personality trying to understand this guy um that allows him to open up allows jack to open up a little bit and they 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 get to know each other And, and reggie's nothing but like basically pretty honest about his whole deal you know he's hiding information yeah. but he's he's not pretending to be somebody he's not so um and then jack's just sort of trying to hide it all the time you know he's just angry yeah. and 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 having problems so uh yeah it's a it's a it's a really good scene i think yeah you can see like this is where the formula really works and like that's why i think like all the movies after this you, you're gonna find those those big scenes where one of them and imp- one of the guys in the group in the duo impresses the other in a surprising way. Mm-hmm. And then it's just sort of like that turn of, Oh, I have to, I have to see you differently. Not just cause you can, not cause you can banter with me or hold your own in some other way. It's like you're doing, you're doing something that doesn't require my participation at all. Uh, yeah. And now I respect, I respect what that is kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it takes the, it takes the right casting to to create that dynamic that believable dynamic between uh, you know two people in that buddy cop kind of role yeah uh and these these guys were you know i think nolte was um you know in the early peak of his career um i think still on the upswing but you know he's had a really long uh, great career but um yeah. you know and eddie i think this is this is early obviously early days eddie murphy this is prior to him becoming a huge star. So he didn't have that ego involved yet. You know, he was much more willing to take a chance and prove himself. And he had, you know, he had a lot to lose if this didn't go well. Mm -hmm. Um, So especially that bar scene is really important, you know, for the characters because it gives Reggie a chance to show that he's in this in this quick mission and he's not just along for the ride and it's great for if you know for Eddie Murphy himself and to prove to an audience that you know I am I am a leading man I can carry this uh let me give me a chance yeah yeah and that's what's so great like once once Beverly Hill cop Beverly Hills cop comes around whoo I mean he's He's in every single scene. I mean, more or less. Like, and he carries the whole film. Maybe. Yeah, pretty much. You know, other, other than like when you see scenes with I think just the villains or the other. You know, yeah. But he's, but he's essentially this. He's the whole movie, and he's fantastic. Um, yeah, and and uh, Walter Hill, funny enough, got upset that um, that the Axel Foley character really is just Reggie Hammond, just kind of amped up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that. Um, you know, you wouldn't have one without the other. So he felt like they kind of ripped off 48 hours. Well, I think, but part of it is like Reggie Hammond is so much Eddie Murphy 
at least at that 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 energy and everything i mean absolutely yeah it's 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 him but you know like i think in the hands of a different actor reggie would be a harder more difficult kind of guy a little probably maybe a little more layered and nuanced but he's Mm -hmm. very um he's very straightforward like his goals are very like very clear his his seriousness it runs throughout and like and like yeah when you get to axel foley axel has a very specific mission in mind um sort of you know to try to like more or less get the bad guys who killed his his mentor or his partner i think and then but then he has those goofy scenes and 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 character things that he does that are like that yeah it like elevates the character even further so it's like now eddie gets to have like a little more fun um with the with well it's also he's axel foley's a character who has who has the power because he's a cop yeah so he's got you know maybe if reggie had that kind of power maybe he would be you know would come out more like axel foley yeah, yeah. But yeah, I can see Walter Hill like, you know, attributing like you wouldn't have Beverly Hills Cop if Eddie wasn't in 48 hours. Like Oh, no, no, no. No. Without yeah. any without a, without a doubt never would have happened. But after this film, yeah. you you can build a movie around him with mm-hmm. knowing his strengths already like uh, on so many different levels, yeah. so uh yeah. Uh, uh now so, I want to watch Beverly now- Hills Cop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can watch that at any time. Yeah, I have I to, love that movie. I have to pop it in, I think. What um now looking back on the movie now, mm-hmm. do you think does it really play like a comedy? It's always categorized as a comedy, but I, you know, like when I was working in Suncoast, I would move it to the action section. Yeah, I could see that. That's it's a little more it's more of just like an action cop movie. Um it's not that funny, not really. There's no, there's not a ton of like laughing out loud moments. But there, there's whimsy. Right. But it's not a, it's it doesn't have the the silly banter and the, and the the the, the tropes of a comedy buddy cop comedy. So it's yeah. Um, no, it's, I think it's pretty straightforward action cop movie. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know it doesn't really, it's it's always treated like a comedy, but it really isn't i mean there's some chuckles like you said some whimsy and some some lighter moments but it's really not funny i mean people are uh, you know that uh, paramount was really upset when with the um <laughs> the hotel shootout in the beginning because it was so violent and uh they they had told walter hill he'd never work for them again obviously that changed but um you know it, it and and as a ki- seeing it as a kid the violence stuck with me a lot more than the comedy did yeah well like you know there's there's all so many deaths and shootouts and like the gunshots are so loud and i think they're all i think they're all blown each other away with 45s or think they said or i don't oh, know yeah yeah so like they're giant yeah. holes like just and it's just loud and and, and violent and it's very kind of like it's jar- it's jarring, you know, because it's just like things are getting so like I don't know, real. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's yeah, it, it's it's got that like energy of 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 violence, just just pure violence, just by the nature of it. Um, because yeah. these shootouts happen in the hotel or the bus chase, um, and there's little regard for like civilian life or anything like that. So it's just a lot of 
and like you know you expect that of Gans, but you know uh, Jack, Jack and uh, Reggie are just sort of firing as wildly, like um, yeah, and it's just loud and and disruptive. Um, I could see why Paramount was sort of expecting something else. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> and yeah, getting upset by yeah, it, so. Um, but they're getting a Walter Hill movie. That's what he does. That's his know? thing. That was, yeah, he doesn't do yeah, silly slapstick thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about, or we we talked about what doesn't, you know, hold up so well with the movie, and what what's a little bit hard to hear and see. Uh, I do want to talk about some other things that I do love, and I think works really well, and what the strong points are for the film. Um, you know, we talked about the chemistry between uh, Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte. That you know, great casting there, and it's it's really hard to you know just find that dynamic. But you know, when you get great actors together, it's you know it can be a little easier. And they, you know, I don't I didn't hear of any you know tension between the two of them. I think they were just professional and and had a good dynamic with each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. I don't want to de-emphasize either, you know, the villains are great and so menacing. Um, you know, James Remar was was a Walter Hill guy. I think he's in four of Walter Hill's films and, um, you know, three of them kind of pretty early in Walter Hill's career. Uh, and he's just wild. Like, you really get that feeling that they are just complete uh, maniacs. <laughs> yeah, like, no, no regard for human life and or his own safety from that. He'll just blow anyone away if it serves him. He doesn't care. Yeah. Um, no honor or anything. You know, he he blew Luther away just because Luther asked his girlfriend if if she was okay. Um, he's like, what do you mean? I told you I wouldn't hurt her and just kills him for it. Um, and then yeah. you don't actually find out if – does she survive? They they figure out where the bus got dumped, but they're like you, – I guess you assume she survives – but you don't see anything. Yeah, I think you assume that. Yeah. yeah, but you don't see her again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like he is such a chaotic element that the uh with the ticking clock, like the, it's a pretty serious chase. Like I uh if he was if he was a little more methodical and not killing people, it's it really wouldn't have that tension that you need. Mhm. Yeah, and that's another thing that the pacing and the intensity are really well done here. And part of that's how the film's cut together. Uh, I think a lot of it is also the score by James Horner. Yeah. That is, I love the score. It, it's really, it really just captures that feeling that you know the the like you said the clock is ticking, and um, you know all of those combined just really create a nice energy that fits the movie. Yeah. And that score, um, you know, I didn't realize it till, I don't know, a, a while ago, that it's the same score as Commando. He basically, for that movie, he just <laughs> took the 48-hour score, kind of tweaked it a little bit, and boom, they that have was Commando. Commando. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, you take what works and you and you uh, reuse it, rearrange it. Do we have to do? I mean, I f- yeah. I feel like I got notes of Titanic in the. In the movie too, I don't know. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, there's a couple of a couple of bars in Titanic that are yeah ripped off from this movie. <laughs> and uh, you know, another actor who 
is in this movie and I just love is Frank McRae is yes. the the best 80s police chief yeah. or you know police captain. Yeah. He's amazing. Oh my god, he's screaming great. screaming, yelling, you know, always yelling at Jack and like he doesn't speak one sentence at a regular volume in this in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even when he hits him in his office, he's just reading him the riot act. It's great. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason Frank McRae um, came back, came into Last Action Hero to play the police captain screaming at Schwarzenegger's character. Like, uh, he's like screaming, his, uh, and I think there were explosions and breaking glass just because he was screaming so much. I mean, it's he got to play like a cartoon version of him, of this character. Well, and, and not even that, he also does the same thing in Loaded Weapon 1. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Loaded Weapon 1. <laughs> and the same year. <laughs> was it the same year as uh, yeah the other one? Oh, that's so funny! I didn't realize that. Especially in the '80s, that was like another uh, you know stereotypical cop thing. Was the angry angry captain who has to just deal with the uh, you know kind of the rebellious cop you know lead character exactly. always reading him the riot act, like you said. Yeah, yeah. The, the the captain is just sort of tolerating these these renegades on the force as best they can even though the you know they get results but they don't do it the right way and uh <laughs> um and it's great to see him again since we we did used cars so frank frank mccray welcome yeah, back to the yeah. podcast you know yeah frank mccray by, by the time we're done with this we're gonna have a lot of frank mccray yeah oh yeah i know we'll see him again yeah <laughs> Uh, he's all over the place in the '80s. He's in like Red Dawn, Rocky Two, License to uh, License to Kill, one of the James Bond movies. He was mm. he was one of those guys that was just like you you recognized him from so many different things. Sure, sure. Um, but ultimately, you know, the 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 strong plot is what holds the film together. You know, you mentioned it earlier, but two completely different people with with different motivations. Um, who are brought together with one common goal. And, and that's what we keep coming back to is, uh, you know, them just, you know, trying to catch up with Gans and over and over and over. And even though he keeps getting away, um, you know, the shootout at the end of the movie in, in what Chinatown mm-hmm. um, is, I love the way that's lit. Yeah. Um, the, the cinematography I think is really well done by Rick Waite in this film all over, but in that scene in particular, you know, that moody lighting, um, it kind of looks like Blade Runner-esque a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, you've got your wet downs, your wet alley, yeah. and just th- that Steam. look. And Nolte's so good in that scene that yeah. he's just he's just had it, and this is this is where it ends. And there, you know, there's there's no way Gans is going to get out of this, no matter what. Yeah, let's see. Like, and that's to me, like that was that was kind of problematic too for me, though. Like, cause he he was a dead eyed like Terminator kind of figure. Like, he just gets, yeah, <laughs> like he doesn't budge. His his expression doesn't buzz budge. He comes in with determination to blow this guy away, uh, mm-hmm. more or less. You know, I mean, I think by that point we know we you can't take him alive. He's got we've already seen what happens when he, when he gave up some power to Gans, Gans killed Jonathan Banks. Like he understands that he, like Reggie's going to die. Um, right. But then he shot him and then he, the guy comes charging at him and he just 
blows him away and his expression doesn't change. Yeah. So it's like dark. It's like super dark. Oh, it's real dark. Like, yeah. Yeah. But leading up to it, like, yeah, with the steam or the fog and the neon lights and like you said, the wet down, it's like very, in, very moody. Um, yeah. It looks really good uh, uh, for that, for that thing. Um, something I really liked was when we, after, after the hotel shootout, and we go back to the police police precinct and um, Jack walks in, they do a full three minute take uninterrupted with him entering, getting to his desk, talking to, I think seven different characters going over files, loading a brand new gun, um, looking at evidence and walking around. And it's one, it's a wonder. I mean, I, I love a wonder and that I, it's really well done. It's shot really well. Yeah. Um, the action bounces around so well. Um, and everyone in it like just hits their marks. It's just really good. Like, you, you know, that was a good, a good solid day for them on that one. Like, I don't know. Or, yeah. Was, I really love that one. That really works for me because it shows like sort of the, the different layers of things like police detectives and uh, have to have to deal with, um, in a very short time. Like they're trying to condense right. like the chaos of, of working a case in these three minutes to really give you the sense of like, he knows what he's doing. He's not just some guy with a gun. Um, you know, he's trying to work his case. So, and he's smart and he's smart enough. Like he's putting the pieces together. Everyone's giving him the information he needs. So, uh, you know, to legitimize the case and he's not just some guy mm-hmm. on a revenge story. So without that, right. I think you, you, you would cheapen, you know, the character. Cause at least if he's this shitty guy who can't get his life together at least, you know, the idea of him being a good cop is all he has. And so at least you can, mm-hmm. you buy everything he does after that. So that's one of the things yeah, I liked. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great, that's a, that is a well done scene. Yeah. And one of those cops is, uh, is Brian James, right? Who's another character yeah. actor who's been in a million things. Absolutely. Playing Kehoe. Um, which by the way, and what, what movie am I thinking of? Where I'm like, does Kehoe betray him by the end of the movie? And he figures oh, it out. Oh, yes, you are. You're thinking of another 48 oh, hours. What? Spoiler Kehoe? alert. That's why. <laughs> Which I have seen. Uh, yeah. He betrays him in that movie. Is that right? Is that the one? Well, that's. Yeah, let's let's come back to another 48 hours. Um, <laughs> let's talk about that in a bit because I have some thoughts and feelings about it. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's, uh, you know, again, one of those rare roles where he's not a villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember, you know, cause by the time I saw this, I had seen Blade Runner. I'd seen some of the other movies where he always played a bad guy. So I was sort of like waiting for him to, uh, you know, turn on Jack or something. And, and then he's just, he's barely in the movie. He's just got a couple scenes and yeah. he's just like a cop buddy. Um, but, uh, yeah, and uh, of course we see who else? We see Denise Crosby very briefly from yeah. uh, Star Trek: Next Generation. Sure, yeah, she shows up. Uh, we yeah, we mentioned uh, David Patrick Kelly, who's another uh, another Walter Hill guy. He was uh, in the Warriors as well. He's in Last Man Standing. Uh, later on, he's in Commando. Um, so yeah, great, really good character actors, kind of all through the film. Sure. Um, yeah, 
And I, I like the choice to set the movie in San Francisco, too, and not L.A. or New York. I always, I you know, they, they did that so often with those cities. It was, it's always a little bit refreshing to see, you know, police crime stories outside of those cities. And yeah. San Francisco is another big one, too, because they've done what Dirty Harry was set in San Francisco, Bullets in San Francisco. Mm. Um, you know, we it's not a cop movie, but... Uh, Towering Inferno was in San Francisco, which we covered a while back. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Was uh, um, so yeah, it's a very uh, <clears throat> visually pleasing city. Body Snatchers was Body Snatchers San Francisco or Body Snatchers, yeah, which we did, we also covered, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's almost like San Francisco is a character itself in these films, yeah. this film, but yeah, no, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, a it's San Francisco is such a nice cinematic town to shoot in. Uh, and like like you said, it's like this city movie kind of thing, like this Walter Hill kind of thing is what he what he's doing. So you know, it looks it looks really good. Yeah, it's another it's a, another good creative choice. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so what do you think? How what do you think the movie's legacy is? How do you think it it overall like how does it hold up now? Yeah, you know it's. Uh, we talked about the problematic elements, but I think as the, as the, um, the start of something that shifted Hollywood, um, yeah. With the buddy, the buddy movie, the buddy cop movie specifically, but, um, that there be imitators and innovators beyond this, uh, you know, this, this has, that's where its legacy is, is, is sort of giving audiences a new fresh take on, on characters, uh, you know, coming together when what better way is to have like, again, opposing people learning about each other while trying to achieve the same goal. Um, so we should be grateful for it. Uh, we, yeah, it's, I, it's, 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 it's definitely, um, it's a legacy film. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more of an important film than people realize. And, and as far as, you know, the overall Hollywood culture goes, cause it was, you know, you had the cop movies prior to that is that you had dirty Harry, you had death wish and just so many imitations of that over and over and over, because that's what, what once, once, you know, something strikes gold in Hollywood, it, it, uh, they exploit it and they just, you know, milk it till it's dry. Yeah. Uh, but this would take a new spin on it and, you know, make it about the dynamic between the two, whether they're cops or one's a cop and a convict. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter as long as it, you have, you know, good dialogue and banter between the two of them. It'll it'll keep an audience connected. Mm-hmm. So and this was really the one that started it, um, you, you know, that especially through the 80s, you saw. You know, so much. There were so many of them. The Lethal Weapon movies, Red Heat. Uh, there was just, there's just, uh, it goes on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the poster, like you could just see the poster of like two guys, two cops back to back, you know, two stars and, and uh, Dead Heat. There's another big one. Joe mm-hmm. Piscopo and uh, Treat Williams. You mm-hmm. can't get any bigger than that movie. No. Well, maybe Money Train with Woody Harrelson and yeah. Wesley Snipes. Coming off of <laughs> White Man Can't Jump, which is essentially yeah. a buddy cop movie. <laughs> I mean, they're not cops, but it's or a buddy movie. Or the, the Cowboy Way with uh, with Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, I've never seen that. I would love that. I, I, oh, Woody and, and Kiefer, I love that. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, The Last Boy Scout with Damon Wayans and Bruce Willis. Um, yeah. Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson and Die 
Hard Three. Die Harder. Mm-hmm. Die Harder. With a, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Thank you. Enjoyed that one yeah. very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. K nine. K nine. Oh yeah. <laughs> Turner and Hooch. Turner and Hooch. <laughs> Um, but yeah, probably the most <clears throat> the most important thing about this movie is the launching of Eddie Murphy's career. I mean, this is, oh, yeah, sure. this is a star being made here. Uh, and I think especially when when Paramount saw the first cut of uh, that bar scene where, you know, they knew they knew that was it. And suddenly the tone changed and suddenly they were much more supportive of the movie and weren't on Walter Hill's case all the time. And. We're coming down to set to, you know, shake hands with Eddie every so often. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, this really made a career for him. And, and uh, Eddie was, you know, one of the top stars probably, you know, I would say into the mid-90s before it really started. So he had a good, like, 15-year run before it started to really slip. And he was putting out the Metros and Pluto Nashes and... uh mm-hmm. You know, and and ever since the the late '90s, he's struggled because he's put out a lot of not so great movies. But then he'll put out, you know, uh, he'll be in Shrek and he'll be in Haunted Mansion, which will mm-hmm. do really well, and or like a Bowfinger that is a little more creative for him. Got um, Norbit, so something to kind of Norbit. Uh, Norbit and uh, Dreamgirls, yeah, Norbit, Dreamgirls, <laughs> yeah. Dreamgirls. So won. Didn't you know, he, did he Eddie win Murphy's, the Oscar? Did he win the Oscar for Dreamgirls? No, he was very upset that he lost. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, but, he, um, he gets to do he gets to do all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, he becomes a big star, has a falling out with uh, with Lauren Michaels, and kind of shuns SNL for years. Up until uh, was it earlier this year or was it last year? Um, where he he returned to SNL and it was kind of a fun yeah. fun trip back nostalgia and all that. Yeah, I can't remember the it was this previous season. Um, yeah, before the lockdown. Uh, but yeah, the uh, that that season um, where he hosted and I, th- I think had a good time. I think everyone was yeah. happy to see him. But yeah, um, I, I guess that's the know, this... bigger legacy. I mean, I, I mean, I guess. You get... Well, it's two. I think it's twofold. Really. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Um, um, you know, this also, uh, you know, boosted the career of Joel Silver. This is the movie where he got his first producing credit and he went from, uh, you know, co-producer and I think producing like, uh, you know, events and short movies and, and then, you know, just suddenly, you know, much bigger movies. And he would be, again, one of the top producers of the 80s and the Lethal Weapons and the... Um, uh, Predator and Die Hard, the Die Hard franchise, and so many more into the '90s. But uh, this is the first one, his first actual producer credit. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 And then I think this is kind of, uh, you know, Walter Hill's like last really great film. Um, huh. You know, he made a lot of movies after that. I think he's directed, uh, I think somewhere around twenty films, but. You know, this was the last, like, upper echelon of his career. The rest, you know, there's some repeats here. And, and uh, you know, Red Heat is kind of like another version of this formula. And, uh, you know, let's talk about it. A- another 48 Hours is mm-hmm. really just, it's made eight years later in 1990. And it's just a 
kind of a rinse and repeat of this movie, basically the same, you know, same plot essentially, mm-hmm. um, where you know Jack Cates is trying to track down this mysterious drug dealer called the Iceman, um, and he, there's a connection to Reggie Hammond. So Reggie's back in jail. He gets him out for another 48 hours, mm-hmm. and uh, like you remembered. It's the big reveal at the end is that the Iceman is Brian James, oh. his cop buddy. This guy he's known for years, decades. Yeah. Oh, because I, I couldn't remember. And I'm like, am I thinking of an entirely different movie or am I thinking or am I thinking of a different Brian James movie or no? It's no, no. It's the sequel. The sequel. And at the end, Kehoe was always the bad guy. Yeah. That's a shame. But I don't know. Like, that one, so much had changed. You know, Eddie was a different, you know, he was a huge star by that point. Um, uh, So the dynamic is not quite the same. And Nolte, there's something about, you know, as he aged, I think he he didn't seem that as physically imposing as he did in the first one. And uh, I, I just, it just... I, the movie was successful. It made money, but it just, I, you know, if I'm going to watch one, I'm going to watch the first one and sure. I, I'll pass on the sequel. That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> um, can we talk about the worst thing about the movie, though, other than the racism and the the terrible use of racism? Women? And s- s- uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, and this is probably a legacy thing that's terrible, but it's uh, the boys are back in town being played <laughs> in the middle of the movie and as the uh, closing credits come out, which... Oh, yeah, and that was yeah uh, by the Bus Boys? Yeah. What's that? By the Bus Boys? Is it by the, the Bus Boys? the band? Is there the, are they the ones that did it? Their version? Is that the yeah. version of it? Yeah. Yep. Awful. Awful. I feel like that... <laughs> I feel like now I'm like, isn't this in every James Belushi movie that happens going forward? <laughs> like... I'm like, this is not like, this is the unfortunate <laughs> legacy uh, of that. It's sort of like when we talk about mystery men and hearing uh, all star, um, there's just a tinge of like, something's wrong. <laughs> like hearing the boys are back in town on top of this film. Awful. Well, did you like it better in Navy seals or in this? <laughs> I, I guess I like it better in this, but because <laughs> I, yeah, uh, no good. No good. I, yeah. Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that song at all, but I actually don't mind the Bus Boys version of it. I don't I don't like I don't they really got a lot of spirit. I don't think I care for the song. I don't think I care for it. Yeah. Like it just I don't know. There's something there's something with it for me. I'm not sure what it is. But uh it kind of ruined Well, the Bus it. the Yeah, I hear that. <laughs> the Bus Boys were, you know, Eddie Murphy's band, really, and they they toured with him and opened for him on his concerts and, uh, you know, all his shows, his stand up shows. So, oh, I see. Um, yeah, yeah, and he would like, you know, riff with them on set, you know, in between takes and everything. I think they wrote like four songs that are all, you know, played throughout the movie. So. Yeah, they're they're you know uh, I'm not a big fan of that song either. It doesn't bother me that like for me it fits this movie. Yeah. So I I don't mind it, but I I hear <clears throat> I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. Couldn't get behind it. Sorry. Um, yeah, I got it. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad you survived. 
I so. mean, it's you know, they're. Uh, I mean, I'm, it's this is all hyperbolic. I mean, it's just it's just a funny <laughs> movie, but definitely not. It wasn't pleasant to hear again. <laughs> no, I can, but I can. If it doesn't fit for you, it can take you out of the out of the movie. Yeah, so. I, I guess that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But they're otherwise good in the movie. Uh, and it's they, funny. They play that. And they they, they used it. So sorry. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, they're, but they're otherwise good in the movie where they play that live. They're the live band at the, the black club, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's right. the bus boys. Uh, anyway. Uh, yeah. Back to you. They, uh, and it's funny. They actually use that. You know, the boys are back in town to promote another 48 hours. Like it's the tagline and the poster of and everything. Course. But they actually don't. They don't play it in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's such a good, um, it's such a good like tagline. Yeah. Should we uh, should we talk a little bo box office? See how it did. Sure. Yeah. Box office time. I love it. So uh, the movie had a twelve million dollar budget. It uh, was released just before Christmas, so December eighth, nineteen eighty two. Uh, it had a 4.3 opening weekend, so nice. pretty pretty good, you know, pretty successful. Mm-hmm. Figure figure they need to make like 20 million to start really making their making money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but domestically, it ends up uh, at 76 million, so huge huge hit for them. Sure, yeah. And audiences definitely were you know they were already familiar with with Eddie from Saturday Night Live and. You know, he was largely responsible for keeping that show afloat mm-hmm. uh, in the early 80s. Um, you know, he takes a lot of credit for that, and I think it rightfully does go to him. It, if it wasn't for him, that show would have been canceled after uh, season six. So, yeah. um, you know, they were really into his comedy at the time, and, and then that led to obviously bigger bigger things as well. Uh, it opened number three, though, opening weekend, behind... Richard Pryor's The Toy, ah. and Airplane 2. Oh, my God. There's so much comedy going on. This yeah. Weekend. Oh, terrible. Big comedy weekend. I'll say. Um, but it did, it did uh, you know, get in front of E.T. E.T. came in at number four, uh, <laughs> but that was in week 27. I was going to so. say, that came out in the summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that makes finally sense. knocked it down. Yeah, yeah, finally got it. But what legs it had to to open a four million and close at the in the high mid seventies, uh, probably ran all winter and spring. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Just making you know, and I'm sure that helped. I'm sure Eddie being on Saturday Night Live, and then and then like they probably boosted each other. You know, if you want more Eddie Murphy, right. oh, he's got, right. he's still got a movie in theaters. Go. Yep. go see that you know and then people were watching Saturday Night Live even more because he's also he's the guy in that movie he's, and he's funny oh, yeah. on the yeah. show so yep. what a what a nice relationship and yeah so I mean really Hollywood be Hollywood would be very different place if Eddie Murphy was never born wouldn't it <laughs> <laughs> um, I was looking at the box office for 1982 yeah. and I, I had to take a second look because at first it had 48 hours as number 27 of 1982 hmm. between Tron and uh, the road warrior. Mm-mm. But that was, I was realizing they're only counting that first, you know, month of release. Right. You know, they literally, it went up to like December 31st, 82. If you track its whole run, then it really falls at number eight of 82, uh, but you know, between star Trek two and poltergeist. So yeah, big, big movie. You know, it's a lot bigger than than people realize. 
Yeah, it's it's huge. Uh, that's that's where you got to track it. That's why the the entire the entire that's when we talk box office for a film. No matter when it's released, you got to talk from opening to to the ending. So that's you know right. You, so right, some, right. even if it opens December thirtieth, it still could be the biggest movie of that year. Uh, yeah, you know. it's just some of that would count towards the next year. Yeah, even though it makes most of its money. Yeah, so that's why. Yeah, the the where these stats come from are interesting. You know, you can parse it out. Box Office Mojo is a site that does this, uh, but it used to be a little more yeah. straightforward. But then it's 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 been changed quite a bit over the recent years due to its acquisition by Amazon and hiding a lot of their information behind a paywall. Ooh. So, boo, good, good stuff, good good fun. Yeah, <laughs> screw that. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Uh, let's talk about Jack Burton's on our Jack Burton scale of one to thirteen. How much? Yeah. How many Jack Burton's do you give this movie? This is tough. I mean, I really like this movie. I don't know how many times I want to keep rewatching it, but I, I guess I'd have no complaints if I did. Um, I kind of think about that, like, oh, do I? And it's tough because I'm watching it recently for the podcast. Uh, but I, I have to give it kind of high marks, um, more or less. I think uh, this might be a nine out of thirteen. I don't know. It's. I think it's. It's because of its legacy. Because of Eddie, um, because of of all of that and the enjoyment factor, despite all the problems with it, which we acknowledge, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's I don't know it's something worth going back to um, on occasion. So if not a if not an eight point five, maybe a nine. So I'm I'm up there. Yeah, That's I'm gonna me. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go eight point five with it, just because I think I I do, like I said I really enjoy the movie. Um, I I really love Eddie Murphy. If you're interested in in him and especially the early part of his career and you haven't seen it, definitely see it um, for sure. Uh, You just, some of that dialogue really, really just hit this time when I watched it and was just like, I don't want to hear that. So that's that, you know, and and the treatment of women really like brings it down quite a, a bit for me. Otherwise I would have ranked it like, probably like an 11. Like I, I really, you know, yeah. growing up, I always really loved this movie until I started seeing it from that perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are a ton of problematic things and, yep. uh, but it's a product of the early eighties. Really. It's, it feels like a product of the late seventies, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, but it is an important movie to see, to, to, to see what it created afterwards. Yeah. It had quite a ripple effect. So Exactly. Yeah. I think, you know, yeah, the, the these those cringiest those those worst things, the things that are just intolerable, um, you know, they're there on the film and that's just it's just part of it. It's part of the the legacy of it. Right. So, you know, you can't you don't want to see a censored version of it. It it loses its impact. No. Uh, and like it, look, a, a lot of these films like you you know, they are what they are. You can't change them. So, uh, you have to look at it in the context of the time yeah. that it was made because yeah. that's it's a snapshot of the culture. That's what a lot of film is is uh, you know, what what the culture is at that time. And it's good to know that as like, problematic as that may be. Yeah, and it's good to know like we've moved beyond this. Is for the most part, there's still. I mean, I don't think you see such blatant races, like blatant, like casual racism and things like that in films today. I mean, I think there's a certain sense of like these are things that are severely uncouth to be to to give to be polite about it, but obviously just extremely wrong and upsetting. And this is not. Mm-hmm. 
this is not how we are supposed to talk to each other. Um, this is not this is not how we talk to each other. Um, depending on who you're talking to, anyway. So to know that we've moved beyond this, um, in 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 terms of the media. Uh, and the way we portray these kinds of characters and finding, you know, ways to show flaws in our characters. We don't have to lean on these things that are so harmful and so dangerous in a sense that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, that's good to know, you know? And I, I, I think if we look at movies made today, you know, thir- 20, 30 years from now, I bet you there's going to be like, I mean, there's still problematic things that come out, but, you know, I wonder, wonder where things will be uh, less widely accepted because we've moved, we would have moved beyond like the acceptance of things that are not quite, not quite right. And uh, right, you know, these are these are a little more blatant and you know vestiges of a of of an angrier time and a more uh, violent time. But uh, yeah, the, yeah, this is this 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 is. I think this is something that that makes um, like the the cop movies tolerable for me. Like, like to see these two guys really talented, uh, giving these two characters um, a lot of, a lot more layers to them uh, than I think mm-hmm. maybe the script provides. Um, yeah, I just uh, I'm, I'm glad it I'm glad it exists. It's it's definitely yeah. something that needs a little <clears throat> more play, but um, and it opens up the door for any of those kinds of conversations in a modern context, which is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that being said, like I think part of why I feel so strongly about it is because they they did such a great job as those characters. You know, Nolte did such a great job as being Jack Cates, and Nick Nolte is nothing like that character. So, um, you know, he really did an excellent job in in making me believe that. So, um, part of that, you know, is what works for the film. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, as far as another forty eight hours, skip. Or, you know, if you want to see what happened to these guys 10 years later, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) And then they'll make another one and yet another 48 hours. And seriously, 48 more. Um, Well, yeah, so I think that's going to wrap it up for 48 hours. Speaking of, um, your 48 hours are up out of... uh, out of your cell, so I've got to I've got to get you uh, back to back to the old the old jail, and uh, you're going back in for another six months. Cool, yeah, get me out of here. It's time to go back. Nope, yeah, too much freedom. Got to go back to jail. <laughs> yeah, it's, my time is up. I had to come out and <laughs> do this podcast. And by jail, I mean your office. So <laughs> I'm just gonna have to have security escort you there, and. Uh, We'll uh, we'll let you know when you can come out. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, as always, you know you can check out our archives at www.reconcinemation.com. Check out our old episodes as well as our new ones. Uh, find us on social media on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at Reconcinemation Podcast. Uh, you know, and, and any anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us. Uh, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio now. So anywhere you get that, um, you know, if they can take ratings and reviews, please uh, do that for us. It's uh, highly appreciated. And uh, thank you to E.K. Wimmer, for, as usual, for our theme song. I think we're going to have him back hopefully soon uh, talking about some, some other films. 
Um, and thank you to Curtis Moore for the poster, as usual, as well. Uh, with that, uh, I'm going to bid you adieu, and we'll see you next time on Reconcinimation. Bye now. <laughs>